Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. There is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. Mr. Biden will address the country on Tuesday in response to this latest coronavirus crisis. We said it a year ago, as COVID goes, so goes Mr. Biden's presidency. And though the president is not responsible for this latest wave, he may well wind up paying the political price for it. People, they are going into their third year of this pandemic. You're talking about cost of living. Mm -hmm. Was it wrong to consider inflation transitory? I mean, these price spikes seem like they're going to be with us for a while. We have to address the fact that we got to deal with the fact that folks are pay paying for gas, paying for groceries, and are, 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 are need solutions to it. So mm -hmm. let's talk about that. Short-term solution includes what we need to do around the supply chain. Right. So we went to the ports of Los Angeles, Long Beach, Savannah, Georgia, and said, hey, guys, no more five days a week, eight hours a day, 24 seven. Let's move the products because people need their product. They need what they need. We're dealing with it in terms of the long term. And that's about what we need to do to pass Build Back Better. It strengthens our economy. But the other important thing is that if you look at the children who are hospitalized, many of them are hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. And what we mean by that, if a child goes in the hospital, they automatically get tested for COVID and they get counted as a COVID hospitalized individual. When in fact, they may go in for a broken leg or appendicitis or something like that. So it's overcounting the number of children who are quote hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. The purpose of it was, is that given the wave, the extraordinary unprecedented wave of infections that we are experiencing now and will certainly experience more of in the next few weeks, that there is the danger that there will be so many people who are being isolated, who are asymptomatic for the full 10 days that you could have a major negative impact on our ability to keep society running. 
So the decision was made, although it's not completely risk-free, of saying, let's get that cut in half so that we could have 50%, namely half of the 10 days, and 50% of that time, people can actually be out with a mask in society. This morning, Father Beck, one struggle I imagine is that fewer people are going to church, to temple, to, uh, to, to worship these days, like with many institutions, right? Folks are retreating over time. And I wonder how you, as, as people of faith, break through that to get, to get the message through, right? As, as people come less often to hear that message. Yeah, well, you know, Jim, there's no supply chain shortage of love and compassion. <laughs> and I think that what we're trying to say to people is you have a social responsibility if you do gather. You know, you know, Christian churches, many are gathering this evening, and some are still not requiring vaccination, which I disagree with. Yeah. So I think part of caring for one another, you know, the dictum of Jesus, who we celebrate his birth, is love one another, show compassion, show mercy to each other. So I think the message is that if we want to act like Jesus in these kind of times, we take care of each other. And if we're going to gather in celebration, we have to do so safely, comfortably, and we have to give to one another that gift of peace. And part of that is, is health and feeling like we're gathering in a healthy environment. And so I really hope as people gather in celebration to celebrate the birth of Christ, who was about mercy and compassion and love of one another, that we keep that in mind. It's not about us. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think there's a reason to say, I'm not gonna get vaccinated today. You know, maybe a health reason, but then you can't come yeah. to church get services with other people right now. We have yeah. a responsibility on another. Father Edward Beck, Rabbi Ann Brenner, really appreciate you both joining us this morning. Thank you. President Biden will end his first year in office with his approval rating underwater. It hasn't been north of 50% since July, according to Gallup, and now hovers in the low 40s. So what's to blame for those languishing numbers? We get some historical context from CNN presidential historian Tim Naftali. And Tim, thanks so much for your time. I find this to be so fascinating because there's major legislative achievements, there's a robust economic recovery, and yet when you look back over history, including the last three presidents, I'll pull them up right now, only former President Trump had a lower approval rating at the end of his first year. Why? Well, first of all, let's, let's keep in mind the challenges that this president faces because they're un, they are unprecedented for this moment in a first term. He came into office as President Biden, came into office with the pandemic. That's one crisis. Uh, he was coming in on the heels of a manufactured political crisis by his predecessor, the Stop the Steal movement, which led to the insurrection on January 6th. And the country had been through a traumatic series of grassroots, important grassroots demonstrations showing the anger and impatience with the structural racism that remains in the country. So those are three major shocks to the system, all of which this new president had to handle. He comes in projecting calm, projecting maturity, and his natural optimism. The problem is that we still face the pandemic, and the morphing of the pandemic has undermined some of the optimism that he understandably wanted to wanted to share with us. I mean, our best presidents, our most successful presidents have been the optimists. Ronald Reagan, very optimistic. Franklin Roosevelt, beaming with optimism about our future. And that's why Joe Biden's policy 
will be determined next year or the year after. If we move through this pandemic as is, as is inevitable, he being our leader, that's the way it works in this country. If you're president, you get the good and the bad. As our president, he will get the, he will get the credit for the recovery that will ensue. But it hasn't happened yet. And in fact, we're all impatient. Our mood is sour. And he, at the moment, is the target for all of that. The CDC this week shortening the COVID isolation period for people without symptoms from 10 days down to five, citing growing evidence the virus is most infectious two to three days after symptoms begin. So speaking of testing, those new CDC guidelines announced this week reducing the isolation period from 10 to five days. Many are applauding the move, but you're also facing some criticism for not including a test out policy. Former Surgeon General Jerome Adams said that this is this is not about the best science. It's more of a compromise to keep the economy open. Why didn't you include a testing component? Apple, we begin this morning with a record number of new COVID cases and controversy over the CDC's COVID response. Which cuts by half the number of days infected people have to quarantine from 10 to 5. And as soon as they show no symptoms, the CDC says they're ready to rejoin everyone else. Are you feeling okay today, dear? Critics call it reckless. The CDC's new end of quarantine guidance says nothing about passing a COVID test first. Given that you and other public officials have acknowledged that it wasn't exclusively science, but also those possible staffing shortages that played a role in this decision, should Americans feel safe? As you know well, the CDC has been criticized for mixed messaging throughout the course of this pandemic, whether it's on masks or on boosters. Why should Americans... Joe Biden. Look, Joe Biden starts 2021 in the high 50s in approval rating, the coronavirus back under control, uh, economy starting to recover. He ends the year with yeah. Omicron raging with his approval rating in the low 40s, with some good signs in the economy, but overall a very tough year for the president. So, Cole, I'll also put Kamala Harris in the Cole category. And it's for a lot of the reasons Solon and, and Erica just talked about. I think that she has struggled to adapt to that role as everyone who has ever been vice president yeah. has. This is not unique. Part of it's the job. That's just the job uh, of being vice president. So I think she has struggled a little bit. I think the whole thing with Biden's age and, you know, is he running again? Would she be the front runner? That complicates it. So Cole for her. Uh, on the other side, Ron DeSantis, I think, gets a candy cane. And again, I, before I, I can already feel my Twitter feed blowing up because people hate Ron DeSantis, particularly Democrats. The, the, here's what I'll say. I am talking about what Ron DeSantis's goals at the start of the year were and what the end of the year looks like. He won for president. Mm -hmm. He has had a very good year in engendering support and loyalty within the Republican Party, so much so that Donald Trump has taken notice and has yeah. tried to throw a few punches back at DeSantis. Hey, 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 if I'm running, he better not be running. Yeah. So DeSantis. Third, and God, talk about your Twitter feed blowing up, Joe Manchin. Here's mm -hmm. why. Whether you agree or disagree with mm -hmm. Joe Manchin, it is impossible to debate that Joe Manchin is the single most powerful United States senator and, as some people would argue, has as much power as the president of the United States in terms of getting the legislative agenda done. Joe Manchin didn't want the Build Back Better Act. We don't have the Build Back Better Act. Mm -hmm. If there's going to be a social safety spending bill, it is going yeah. to go through 
Joe Manchin. So he is as powerful now as he's ever been. And then I want to end on one that I think a lot of people don't know, Jim, a guy named Charlie Baker, who's the governor of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. So Charlie Baker is either the most popular or the second most popular governor in the country, which is remarkable. He's a Republican governor in one of the most Democratic states in the country. He's retiring mostly because he's sick of being in the Trump Republican Party. This is a guy who left his ballot blank in 2016 and 2020. Mm -hmm. I think he's an example of the Republican Party saying, I'm not going to go along to get along. I don't think this guy is good for the party. And I think he deserves some commendation for that. So that's all of them. But I, I ran out of candy canes just now. I hear you, but he's leaving the party with that candy cane, right? And that's, is. Which he's, is too well, common, and that's, a, and that's, all too common a phenomenon for those who stand up to Trump. And that's why I put, that's why Republicans get the coal. Because again, the people who should be Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Charlie Baker, people who have shown actual leadership in the face of an attempt to overturn an election that was fairly uh, conducted are leaving. That means that the party consolidates around that big lie. And that's huge. Let's start with number one, the most popular article you published this year, debunking the claim that the Taliban had seized $85 billion with a B of U.S. weapons. Walk us through that one. Right. So that's the, that $85 billion number. It's actually 83, technically, was the number for all money appropriated to Afghan security forces. But only about 75 billion of it even got to Afghanistan, and then less than 30% of that even went to weapons. So you can see already you're way lower than 85 billion. It's you're in the $20 billion range. And a lot of those weapons, that's a figure over 20, 25 years, over 20, 20 years. So, uh, the actual number of weapons that were abandoned, most of which before the army left, they disabled, is much, much smaller. That is a key fact to disrupt that partisan sure. stat. And uh, I want to go to one, it, just to point out, it's not Republicans telling tall tales all the time. You found that Biden falsely claimed a new Georgia election law that imposed new restrictions on voting, ended early voting hours. But that wasn't exactly true, was it? No, there, there are issues what people can raise about aspects of that law. But for some reason, the president kept harping on the idea that it would cut voting hours. And actually, it expanded voting opportunities in, in large parts of Georgia. And it didn't affect voting hours on Election Day. Uh, this is something he said uh, about three times. And uh, we could never get an explanation as to why he kept saying it. Uh, I mean, interestingly, we fact-checked... Joe Biden more than any other politician or person this past year. But fact checks about Biden don't necessarily uh, get the eyeballs that you would expect. Well, and welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the deuce of January, year of our Lord 2022. What the hell, Chuck? How are we in 2022? I don't understand. I just don't understand that that went quick. So that's a good little bumper there because we definitely have changed what we say on a lot of things, especially with Falky and the president. So today's show, we're going to do a little Let's Go Brandon. My slides are going to be all jacked up because I did my slides differently today. I just did a few because I got a birthday party to get to. Remember this. Testing is the springboard we need to help get our economy safely running. Trump could rapidly scale it up. He hasn't. Just just remember that. Remember this. This is Ron Klain. 
This is, this is their words. These are what these people said. But now we, we're just, we're singing a different tune on everything. Oh, that's my favorite one. I, I love it. Th- th- this is those people. Th- this is who they are. They're so full of shit. They're just full of shit. These fucking people, they will say whatever they want to. Just to win. And unfortunately, a lot of people just go with it. I mean, I, I, I'm not even going to go into all the COVID today. Um, you saw that. No federal solution. Uh, finally, we had, because I'm just going to do some brief brief stories here. Let me pull up some of these opinion. Uh-huh. Hold one. Well, let's play our bumper for COVID. Well, I want to get to underreported stories uh, as well. Jan? Oh, I, for me, I mean, I, my kids hear me rant about this every day, so I may as well tell you guys. It's, it's the crushing impact that our COVID policies have had on young kids and children. Mm-hmm. Uh, by far, you know, the least serious risk for serious illness. Uh, but, I mean, even teenagers, you know, a healthy teenager has a one in a million chance of getting and, di- and dying from COVID, which is way lower than, you know, dying in a car wreck on a road trip. Uh, but they have suffered and sacrificed the most, especially kids in underrepresented, at-risk communities. And now we have the Surgeon General saying there's a mental health crisis mm-hmm. among our kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, the risk of suicide, girl, suicide attempts among girls now up 51% this year. Uh, black kids, uh, nearly twice as likely as, as white kids to die by suicide. I mean, school closures, cancellation of sports. You couldn't even go on a playground in the DC area uh, without cops scurrying, uh, getting, shooing the kids off. Tremendous negative impact on kids. And it's been an afterthought. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hurt their dreams, their future, learning loss, risk of abuse, their mental health. And now with our knowledge, our vaccines, uh, if our policies don't reflect a more measured and reasonable approach for our children, mm-hmm. they will be paying for our generation's decisions uh, the rest of their lives. And that, to me, is the greatest underreported story of it. In the last-minute scramble to get home safely for the holidays, the most popular gift may be the toughest to find. Hundreds of people waited today at this site in New York City for test kits to take home. How hard is it to get a test these days? Uh, Really hard. I've tried a couple of times, and I came on Wednesday, and after putting my name down, it was a a six-and-a-half-hour wait. It's not just getting the test. Labs are overwhelmed and frustration is growing. Took a PCR test with guaranteed results supposedly in 24 hours. It took five days to get those results, which at this point are meaningless. Two days before Christmas, these are not the traditional lines Americans are used to waiting in. Holiday cheer turning to frustration as the anxious wait for testing. I did one yesterday where I waited for two hours. With testing sites overwhelmed, today New York City with a gift for the few. We test, we test. Some 10,000 at-home test kits handed out for free in a city of more than 8 million. It's a 
very tiny amount for all the people that want to test before the holidays. And it's really sad. And the system is a little broken. And there's concern the Biden administration's promised half a billion tests won't arrive until well after the holidays. David pressing the president. We're nearly two years into this pandemic. You're a year into the presidency empty shelves and no test kits in some places uh, three days before Christmas when it's so important. Uh, is that good enough? No, nothing's been good enough. But look, look where we are. When last Christmas we were in a situation where we had significantly fewer vaccinated people vaccinated, emergency rooms were filled, you had serious backups in hospitals that were causing great difficulties. Um, we're in a situation now where we have 200 million people fully vaccinated. Today, ABC questioning the press secretary about the president's answer. I think what the president was acknowledging, which he said in his speech a couple days ago, is all are very, very good came up with three of them in less than nine months. It was supposed to take five to 12 years. And, and yet we more say, people have died under COVID this year, by the way, yeah, under Joe Biden, right. than under you. And more people took the vaccine this year. So people are questioning how- Well, no, the vaccine worked, but yeah. some people aren't taking it. The ones, the ones that get very sick and go to the hospital are the ones that don't take the vaccine, but it's still their choice. And if you take the vaccine, you're protected. People aren't dying when they take the vaccine. Uh, Point of fact, that statement she made about people dying under Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, those numbers are completely wrong. So that's fake news right there. Secondly, it's very juicy because Candace Owens has been peddling nonsense, anti-vaccine nonsense online. And to watch her face as the former president essentially says what we all know, that vaccines are effective, quite soothing. Ron, why is the former president yeah. taking this stance now, though? What is up with the timing? Right. Well, look, I mean, it's never too late to do the right thing, but the president, former president waited until the concrete had really hardened uh, among his base and, and the Republican coalition. In January, when he released his COVID plan initially, it included this statement, quote, for the past year, we could not turn to the federal government for a national plan to answer prayers with action until today. But I want you to contrast this with what he said yesterday. Take a listen. Is look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. I'm looking at Governor Sununu on the board here. He talks about that a lot. And it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road. And that's where the patient is in need or preventing the need for uh, help. Is this a flip-flop or is this him rediscovering the beauty of federalism? Because that's actually where problems get solved. But for the Biden administration, it's really inexcusable at this point to be caught flat-footed by Omicron. I mean, we already had the Delta variant this summer. The administration was slow to embrace the vaccine mandates. They declared premature independence from the virus. And Biden himself said in March that they were going to ramp up the ability to have at-home testing. And that just hasn't happened yet. Um, it's a little you know, too much, uh, a little bit too late here for them to be actually ramping it up in time for the holiday seasons. And this could really cost them politically. I mean, at the end of the day, voters are going to be voting on whether or not they feel like the country has returned to normal. And it just does not feel that way right now. Hey, John, if I could just add on that one yeah. point, I think that was a throwaway line from Biden. I think Biden was beginning a call from governors, as Jeff Zients was saying, they've had 40 of these calls. The reason is that there is an interaction between the uh, federal government and the state governments. And I think uh, presidents always uh, make reference to the 
that uh, states uh, uh, have a lot of authority and we need to work in cooperation. I don't think he was actually signaling like, oh, okay, it's not my job anymore, it's your job, because he went on to outline the things that he was uh, trying to do to catch up to the testing problem and acknowledging, as we've just been talking about, that we need to do better. So I think somewhat more has been made of that, uh, of that uh, little uh, uh, sort of polite... President Biden says his administration is prepared for this Omicron-powered surge, though he's admitted the federal government should have purchased more testing two months ago. If I'd, we'd known we would have gone harder, quicker if we could have. Though a group of public health officials from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, the Rockefeller Foundation, the COVID Collaborative, and several other organizations pitched the administration in October with a plan to secure hundreds of millions of tests, send them to Americans, and blunt a potential holiday COVID surge. The response from the White House then? No thanks. That's according to a report in Vanity Fair. White House officials say the story is not rooted in reality and argue there wasn't enough production capacity in October. On his way out of the White House and to the Delaware shore, the president denied the report. Why did your administration reject a holiday testing surge in October? Does the buck stop with you there? Rejected the surge. We didn't reject. As long lines persist around the country, President Biden said more testing is becoming available, but admitted it's still not fast enough. He urged the nation's governors to reach out for assistance. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. In a meeting with governors today, the president acknowledging Americans need more COVID tests. Seeing how tough it was for some folks to get a test this weekend shows that we have cases. Yeah, I mean, Jason, you see how difficult this is for this administration. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Fauci groupie. I'm a thrice vaccinated mask adherent. I buy KN95 masks, buy the, you know, caseload. They're in every pocket. I wear them everywhere except when I sit down. And I am certain that this is not a variant I can outrun. And and I wonder where you think the sort of conversation is heading at this moment, Jason. It's a fucking cult. It's just a cult, man. I mean, I don't even know how to say it. I, 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 I sometimes am like, uh, okay, um, maybe these people have problems. You know, maybe their mommy didn't love them. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say to these people. I, I just, I, I, I fucking am just sometimes just overwhelmed with the amount of, I, I don't, I've never been that way with anybody. I mean, granted, sure. If I met Martin Truex Jr., maybe I'd be a little starstruck or, you know, Back when Favre was a beast, yeah, I'd probably say it. But we're still running this absence of generic executive working photo to Santa. So the past week plus suggests that he is, in fact, ill. And they're still trying to, even when they admit that, um, you know, uh, New York's worse, it comes out as, oh, well, uh, yeah, no. No, it's not worse. It's not worse because Florida, and they got more deaths. And then now the latest thing is uh, Texas. They're trying to pull the Texas is the worst. And 
Uh, then it, no, it's New York. And then they said you 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 heard it, super spreader effect. Oh, it's a super spreader. Oh, did I play that one? They they were trying once again, regardless of facts and science and anything, you know that New York Times Square where everybody was tested and vaxxed and double masked. I saw people taking off masks. Yeah. But CBS, the risk of suicide. CBS journalist rips COVID policies on the impact of teens. Another article, an atomic suicide of the youth, our second epidemic of 2020. They're finally acknowledging, hey, this is bad. This is affecting our kids. But you saw Harvard. Biden, this gets all the state level, is only a thing if you feign ignorance that he was simply affirming NGA chair plea not to stifle state solutions. It's routine presidential laboratories of democracy talk. He discussed federal action and needs to do better. Okay. And then, of course, Chris Hayes got really upset. I'm going to play it again because of this soundbite. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. He was butthurt over it because, oh, how dare you use his own words against him. I mean, for fuck's sake, folks, Grabian, where is it? No, right here. Grabian Media for sharing video. Uh, Twitter suspends Grabian Media for sharing video, quote, of Republican on Fox News. Tom Elliott shared the news that an account has been terminated. Next level. Twitter absurdly, my company's account, Grabby Media, was just suspended for quoting a congressman. Video. Representative Biggs. Big Pharma won't consider therapeutics like HCQ on Irvimensen because of economic interest. He said it. They didn't like that he said it because they believe it is, once again, fake news or misinformation because it doesn't fit the big story of what they want to say. And so they delete fucking account for just playing what somebody said. Cause it's, it's, it's a fucking cult. WAPO. He died after waiting 15 days for a hospital bed. His family blades unvaccinated COVID-19 patients. And after Weeks was transferred to a larger medical center, doctors there didn't determine he needed surgery for another seven days. Weeks then died a few days later. On November 26th, surgery lasted 17 hours, but we continued to struggle, his daughter said. A surgeon told the family one of the worst infections he'd ever seen. They said a second, shorter operation didn't reverse his decline. His kidneys and intestines were failing, and it had nothing to do with COVID. He just tested positive for COVID. It's the same line. Epidemiologist. I tested positive for COVID on Sunday as an ultra-cautious, triple-vaccinated, always-masker. I was shocked and very afraid. To my surprise, I also felt ashamed and embarrassed. How could I have let this happen? How could I have put my family at risk? Objectively speaking, I understand that COVID is highly contagious, and I did everything in my power to avoid this, keep my loved ones safe. However, if you're feeling any of the same emotions I am, whether it's logical or not, just know that you're not alone. Glenn Greenwald. 
This is a pivotal moment in the pandemic's history. Four months, the message is clear and unrelenting. Everyone must stay home. Those who leave, even to get the deserted beach, are reckless psychopaths. It flipped overnight to endorse a mass protest movement liberals like. Now, some public health experts are broadcasting a new message. It's time to get out of the house and join the mass protest against racism. That, my friends, sums it up. That sums up the whole shit show that has been COVID. It's just uh, 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 this fucking shit. Somebody posted this. Trump did things. This is his COVID policy. This is it. This is what they do. This is all they got. This is all they got. trying to find it i fucked up where did i put it there it is do we remember the flip-off lady do you remember how the media brought her on she ran for office do, do we remember it So, of course, that's how we get the media jerk-off. They're really upset about... Let's go, Brandon. Uh, Let's talk about what happened today uh, with Joe Biden, along with the First Lady Jill Biden, visiting Children's National Medical Center here in Washington. Uh, He spoke with kids around the country as part of a a Santa Tracker event. In one specific phone call, a father of four named Jared made it awkward and political and uh, just listen to this by the way you guys have to be in bed by nine o'clock you know and asleep between nine and twelve or he doesn't show up this isn't to you jared this is to the kids (laughs) that's right i hope you have a wonderful christmas yeah i hope you guys have a wonderful christmas as well Uh, let's go brandon Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Let's go, Brandon, for those who don't know, is slang for F Joe Biden. Uh, Ron, the president is trying to be nice to kids. Uh, He doesn't really have to do this. They were very pleasant. What does it tell you that somebody is rude like that and disrespects the office of the president to his face uh, about the political climate in this country? Yeah, look, I, you know, it's ungracious, it's juvenile, it's reprehensible by the father. Uh, but I don't think it's fundamentally about incivility. I think it is fundamentally about insurrection. Um, you know, I don't know the, the, the individual, but the, the whole let's go Brandon kind of motif is a reflection of the view, two thirds of the Republican uh, base, driven by Trump's claims, uh, false claims and the big lie that Biden is an illegitimate president. Um, And it reflects as well the the findings in multiple polls by the American Enterprise Institute, Vanderbilt University and others that a majority of Republican voters now say the American way of life is disappearing so so fast, the traditional American way of life that we may have to use force to save it. I think you're seeing this is a manifestation, not just a fundamental view of the illegitimacy and the ominous shores that were kind of sailing. Let me tell you why this matters. The asymmetry has always been what advantages the Trump right more than anything. And the asymmetry of saying 
F you to a sitting president on a call in front of your four kids. Don't look past this. Don't look at this as a story about giving airtime to a MAGA guy who goes on Steve Bannon's podcast and said, I wasn't joking. Not only did I say F you, Mr. President, I said more than that. This is the slow motion insurrection, Jason, in, in full color. The more dangerous thing, as you're pointing to, is the fact that all of these people are basically just insurrectionists in training now. Right. Like if, if you wanted to say, look, presidents here insulting things all the time. People said rude things to George Bush. Larry Wilmore made a highly inappropriate joke right next to Barack Obama. Right. Like people can say rude things to the president. That's not the issue. But when these people are speaking, they're not joking. MAGA isn't about taxes. You know, let's go Brandon isn't about what you feel about supply chain issues and gas. It is the cry of insurrectionists. It is the cry of people who want to violently take over this country and oppress anyone who is not like them. And that's what makes this dangerous. And to the degree that Joe Biden can laugh it off or anything else like that, that's fine. But I hope that we have a Justice Department and an FBI and a CIA that investigates where the anger that leads to these kinds of statements comes through because these people People have already attacked us with guns. You think they're going to come back and do something less aggressive next time if they feel they can speak this? Let's bring in CNN national security analyst Juliet Kayam. Juliet, good to see you this morning. Uh, notice that you tweeted this article you wrote after the January 6 attacks, almost a year ago, uh, saying this. Um, as we gear up for 1-6 anniversary coverage, reposting my take then, many criticized this for calling Trump the leader of a terror movement who uses violence or threat of as an extension of politics. After a year, I think I was too kind. Yes. So if you think you were too kind to call him a uh, extremist leader then, what would you call him now? Well, he continues to be the leader of an organization that or the threat of violence to disrupt democratic processes. That is terrorism. What sort of connects everything is violence and the threat of violence that now animates so much of our political discourse coming from uh, Republican leadership, from uh, right-wing media. And it's not just, you know, it's not just sort of random violence. I mean, it's targeted against secretaries of state, against various Congress people. Of course, uh, we even see it uh, percolate into the, into the COVID space against at uh, attacks or language against uh, leaders. And so it's that um, acceptance of violence and the threat of violence as part of a political agenda that I think I underestimated uh, on January 6th. There are six or seven hundred criminal cases against the people who were in the Capitol. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because they did something wrong and, they're, and a lot of them are getting jail times. It also matters from the counterterrorism perspective, the world that I grew up in, which is if you view Trump as leading a terror movement, uh, we are the, these cases are undermining his ability to recruit, to, to raise money. And you're seeing that. You're seeing these organizations like the Proud Boys, very difficult for them to reform. Uh, Trump has been deplatformed by Twitter. He cannot fill a room. Let's remember that. He is having these rallies. They are not filled up to the, uh, you know, to the rafters. That's a good thing. You want to minimize his capacity uh, to, uh, to, to both engage and incite. Juliet, I got to ask, what accountability do you think needs to be put in place to break up this movement, as you describe it. In terms of accountability, uh, people need to view it into two lanes. So one is the the criminal accountability of Trump and members who were, you know, and people who who planned a violent overthrow of our 
democracy. That's what it was. We shouldn't be shy about what they were trying to do. It's clear that's what they were trying to do. Uh, and, and their criminal culpability. The other is, of course, trying to minimize the radicalization. That's really key for the long term. Mm. And I think that there are hints that that is happening. These cases are breaking up terror organizations. Donald Trump's ability to gather a crowd that is willing to be violent is now real, is now much less than it was a year ago. That's good. That's good news. I mean, it's not great news given the context, but it is that is that is the one of the big themes of right wing media and indeed a lot of media, local news uh, as well. This year has been the narrative that America is awash in crime. Now, it's not totally detached from some real statistics that are quite unnerving. Murders jump by nearly 30 percent the largest single-year increase in 2020. That's last year. The evidence we have so far uh, points to homicides continuing to rise in 2021. So that's real and really bad. On top of the actual story of a genuine increase in interpersonal violence in America amidst this pandemic and its disruptions and dislocations, right-wing media is constantly peddling what is, I think, a completely story specifically about out-of-control retail theft. Tim, you know, I think there's something interesting happening here because I think that um, conservative media understands the power of those images, A. B, it's also the case that, like, there's the, the rise in homicides is a very real thing and an extremely, like, upsetting thing that policymakers have to deal with and are grappling with in different ways in cities of Philadelphia to Atlanta to Buffalo to New York. But, like, there is nothing that Fox loves more than surveillance footage of particularly black people uh, stealing a thing, and they will run that. We're excited to tell you something very strange going on at CNN right now. In just the past week or two, two separate CNN producers have been accused of child molestation. One of them was a man called John Griffin. He was just indicted by a federal grand jury for attempting to, quote, induce minors to engage in unlawful sexual activity. We're not going to get into details. They're horrifying. He's been fired. Griffin used to work for Chris Cuomo. He bragged about working shoulder to shoulder with him. We'll leave it there. Then just days after that story, Project Veritas exposed another creep at CNN. They published graphic text messages and a video of a CNN producer, apparently CNN producer, fantasizing about molesting a child. Project Veritas said the producer also illicitly, allegedly sought explicit photographs of that child. So we called over to CNN to ask, is this one of your employees? We have the name. We're not going to air it because none of this has gone to trial. But does he still work there? They didn't get back to us. But this seems like a real story. So to put it into context, as of today, there are more accused pedophiles at CNN than Americans who have died of the so-called Omicron variant that's supposed to be so deadly. Now, that seems like news to us. You'd think CNN would be covering it. Like, what the hell? How many companies can say that? But that's not what they're covering. If you were watching the Unix show over the weekend, you learn that it's actually Fox News that suffered a week of, quote, embarrassing headlines. <laughs> Dr. Freud, we point up lots of examples of transference. That's when you take the things, the sins you've committed. Now, I added in there the freaking, uh, it, was, it was too nice to call Trump, uh, Fox only covering crime because of that, and CNN pedo again. Because I wanted to balance it out. I mean, that, that's these people. This isn't even the thing that pissed me off the most. There, there's something that's really pissing me the fuck off that we'll get to in a little bit but it's just just shocking because 
Look at these things. If you think it's appropriate to tell someone, anyone really, to go fuck themselves after they gave your kids a time of day on Christmas Eve, it says a lot more about you than the person character and anything else. Yeah. Somehow the guy is a true victim and Biden was somehow in the wrong as a young guy, uh, as a guy gets on the phone to troll him on Christmas Eve and Biden was kind to the guy. That's all I got to say. Right there. So let, let's break down the let's go Brandon tragedy that is. Uh, oh, here's Hakeem Jeffrey, the next Speaker of the House. Constitution does not require the Speaker of the House to serve in Congress. That's why a radical right will try to install Donald Trump. Another reason we can't allow the cult to win majority next year. The cult. Father who played let's go Brandon joke on Biden says he's receiving death threats. Hmm. The cult, Jeffrey says. Swalwell. Don't waste your time on the pathetic dad who humiliated his family to say fuck you to the president on Christmas Eve. He's irrelevant. Spend your time asking why Republican leaders are celebrating him. This isn't my parents' Republican Party. This new crew are indecent to the core. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense coming from you guys. Sure. It was trending because, once again, Twitter doxed him. That's against the policy. Some of the things uh, whose First Amendment right allow him to say, let's go, Brandon DeBine thinks that does not extend to our First Amendment right to call out his behavior. That's what's wrong with the conservatives. They don't want equal rights. They want rights for themselves only. The media is talking more about Jared Sheck than Daryl Brooks. Oh, that's interesting. Joe Biden spent 36 years as a U.S. Senator. He was awarded the President of the Medal of Freedom, served two terms as Vice President, received 81 million votes in the 2000 American election, making him the current President of the United States of America. Jared checks an asshole. I'm Brandon, and I kicked Trump's ass. I mean, this it was a whole, Twitter was fine with it. Dude got all fucked up, death threats. Uh, don't believe the Twitter safety bullshit. They encourage doxing. This is straight from fucking Twitter safety. Jared Sheck, an Oregon resident, faces backlash after te- yelling, let's go, yelling, he, he didn't yell, let's go Brandon when the Bidens were talking to phone call about NORAD. Hmm. That's okay, though. But they, that's, that's, that's acceptable. And, and the, people ran this video that I'm not going to play because it's really short, showing all the negatives while he goes, yeah, let's go Brandon. Matt Walsh, this is really, really good. So I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to put it up. Um, I think it's good that they hunted down the guy who said, let's go, Brandon, and tried to destroy his life, Matt Walsh, so Cassidy posted online. In a democracy, we simply should not be allowed to talk about our political leaders that way. Besides, the left has never shown any disrespect towards Republican presidents. I distinctly remember the media and all the leftists demonstrating enormous amount of respect and reverence for the office of the presidency during the Trump years. They were models of dignity, restraint, and decorum. Who can forget Kathy Griffin holding the severed head of the president in an effort to show how much she respected the president? She loved and respected him so much that she wanted to carry his head around with her. 
Truly inspiring. I remember Robert De Niro earning a standing ovation for saying fuck Trump to the Tony Awards. His respect for the office of the presidency was so deep and profoundly he even wanted to have sexual relations with the presidents. We should all aspire for such reverence. Reverence. Let's go, Brandon. Dan, Jared Schmeck tells Steve Bannon 2020 election was stolen. A lot of us believe that. Do you know why we believe it? That's why we believe it. It's not like that makes you a crazy man. That's why we believe it. This was your words. Do we remember this article? Let's read a little bit of it. Because I, I want us to all remember it. I should bring it up every day. Every show, I should bring out this article. The weird thing happened right after the November 3rd election. Nothing. The nation was braced for chaos. Liberal groups had vowed to take to the streets, planning hundreds of protests across the country. Right-wing militia were girding for battle in a poll before Election Day. 75% of America voiced concern about violence. Instead, an area quiet descended as President Trump refused to concede. The response was not mass action, but crickets. When media organizations called the race Joe Biden on November 7th, jubilation broke out instead as people thronged cities across the U.S. to celebrate the democratic process that resulted in Trump's ousting. A second on thing happened amid Trump's attempt to reverse the results. Corporate America turned on him. Hundreds of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy and supporters' policy, calling him to concede to the president something felt amiss. It was all very, very strange, Trump said. Within days of the election, we witnessed the orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were still being counted. In a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse little-notice joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and AFL-CIO published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as part of an implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive, racial justice protests, sometimes, in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault and democracy. The handshake between business labor is one of the components of the vast thing, blah, 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 blah. Though much of the activity took place on the left, it was separate from the Biden campaign and crossed ideological lines with crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors. The scenario and shadow campaigners were desperate to stop what was not a Trump stop was not a Trump victory. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all. Failures such like the democratic self-governance have been a hallmark of America. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and help secure hundreds of millions of public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. Successfully pressured social media companies to take harder line against disinformation. They executed national public awareness campaigns and helped Americans understand the vote count would unfold over days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories. After Election Day, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the results. The untold story of the election is thousands of people, both parties, accomplished the triumph of American democracy and its very foundation. Seb Nornais, a prominent lawyer and former Obama administration. We remember this article because this is when they went out and they bragged about it.
they admitted they stole this shit. That's why they won't let this go announced. They're going to go live. They're not going to let this go away. It will stay. Just announced CNNOS Live. The two-hour conversation will include remarks from the House Speaker and nine other House members. Lisa Blunt, Jason Crow, Veronica Escobar, Ruben Galago, Dan Kidley, and Susan Wilde. Several members of the House Select Committee investigating the insurrection will also mark the anniversary with Chair Bernie Thompson and Liz Cheney. In addition to the lawmakers, some officers who fought will be brought back because they're on our payroll and we hired them. Yeah. Live from Capital Six, one year later, will air Thursday in CNN and CNN Espinol. The event will also simulcast on CNN National. We stream live with subscribers of CNN Go. It's so important for democracy to remember a day that really wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. John Pavlovich, which is this Let's Go Brandon phenomenon. In the span of 10 minutes, a woman with the Let's Go Brandon sticker drove through the grocery store crosswalk, nearly hitting three people, and a guy with a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker drove into the traffic circle without yielding and gave us the finger. Mega. Being mega. Reckless driving. A domestic terrorist. So how is it going for this guy? Well, he got the Brand- Let's Go Brandon coin... And then NASCAR said, yeah, no. They're not going to let him do it. So, he, he's doing good. He's doing good. His whole life is ruined because the left is a bunch of goddamn cracks. New York Times. Our political life seems more or less normal these days, writes the editorial Baird. But peel back a layer and there are far more normal. January 6th is not in the past. It's every day. Listen to this article. And it goes with the Let's Go Brandon. Because once again, they don't believe you should be able to criticize. You don't believe you should hold him account like you held Trump account for everything. Every possible thing that could imagine you can imagine was Trump's fault. Let me put a dip in. After four years of chaos, cruelty, and incompetence, culminating in a pandemic and once unthinkable trauma of January 6th. Most of America were desperate for some peace and quiet on the surface. We achieved that. Our political life seems more or less normal these days. As the president pardons turkeys and Congress quarrels over spending bills, but peel back a layer and things are far from normal. January 6th is not in the past. It's every day. It is regular citizens who threaten election officials and public servants who ask, what can we, when can we use the guns? And who vow to murder politicians who dare to vote their conscience. The left did that after 2016. You guys didn't even cover it. 
It is Republican lawmakers scrambling to make it harder for people to vote and easier to subvert their will if they do. It is Donald Trump who continues to stoke the flames of conflict with his rampant lies and limitless resentment and whose twisted version of reality still dominate one of the nation's two major political parties. In short, the Republicans face an existential threat. The Republic faces an existential threat from a movement that is openly contemptuous of democracy and a show that is willing to use violence to achieve its end. You're still talking about this every single day, at least for 15 minutes per hour for the last year and many more to come. The Democrats, media, big tech and White House have reminded us of January 6th and how it was the worst attack in American history every 15 minutes. So so let's um, let's look at lies. President Biden had the most successful first year in presidential history. Number one in GDP growth. Number one in profit growth, number two in jobs, number two in productivity, number two in stock market global performance, number two in dollar appreciation. All based on what? We all went back to work. He didn't do anything. If anything, he stalled things. That's why we have inflation. But yeah. Then we, then we have this. I relate to AOC. Literally every criticism of me boils down to people being disappointed they can't have sex with me. It is indeed a burden one must bear. Let me see if I can find the fucking article. I don't think I bookmarked the article. There it is. This, this is a thing now. A thing. Uh, somehow it won't open. Oh, there it is. Sorry. I'm fucked up today. AOC accuses Republicans of fostering deranged sexual frustrations about her. Hasn't Governor DeSantis been explicitly missing for like two weeks? If he's around, I would be happy to say hello. His social media team seems to have been posting old photos for weeks. In the meantime, perhaps I could help with local organizing. Folks are quite receptive here. I'd also... Be happy to share some notes from Governor Hathie Hochul's work in New York since it seems to be a need of tips. Steve Cortez, if leftists like AOC actually thought mandates and masking work, they wouldn't be frolicking in Florida. Her guy is showing his gross pale male feet in public, not a pool beach with hideous... I don't really give a fuck. Um, in the bottom, it's starting to get old, ignoring the very obvious, strange, and deranged frustrations, sexual frustrations that underpin the Republican fixation on me, women plus LGBT plus people in general. These people clearly need therapy, won't do it, and use politics as their outlet instead. It's really weird. The fact that these people are so creepy weird, yet are also the ones responsible for shaping the news headlines we all see in the media should be really concerning. I don't even want to know what knuckle-dragging thoughts these people have all day while covering women in politics. That's all they have. That's all they have. They don't have anything else. Their whole thing is to make shit up. Mother Jones, Liz Cheney isn't a lifelong hero, but she's the hero of 2021. They don't live in reality. They just don't live in reality. I mean, look at this. What is that tweet? How was that tweet able to stand? 
Which brings me to the most frustrating thing I saw. Because I watched MTP. Sweet God. And I don't really understand this idea that parents should decide what's being taught. I'm not a professional educator. I don't have a degree in social studies or science. We send our children to school because we want them to be taught by people who have expertise in the subject area. And that is not my job. When the, when the uh, governor or, or the candidate said that he didn't think parents should be, be deciding what's being taught in school, he was panned for that. But but that's just the fact. Um, this is why we send our children to school and don't homeschool, because these are the professional educators who have the expertise to teach social studies, to teach history, to right. teach science, to teach literature. And I think we should leave that to the educators. Yes, we, we- I just think it's just emblematic of how everything has become hyper politicized nowadays, um, you know, down to the local election, school board election. Obviously, what we saw over the summer uh, in the lead up to the Virginia gubernatorial elections was that issues like critical race theory, uh, high school curriculum, uh, local school board elections became flashpoints. They became galvanizing issues for Republicans. Now, some of it was not you know, grounded in reality. Critical race theory is not being taught in elementary schools, for instance. And yet this was something that got Republican and their grassroots really energized and jazzed. And so the natural manifestation of that it's then take that energy and apply it to these elections. Now, what is the practical uh, outcome of that? You're going to see, you know, um, <clears throat> school curriculums change. You're going to see laws around or policy mandates change. You could see things around um, inoculations, not just for COVID, but uh, for other things become flashpoint issues too. So it's, again, it's the hyper-politicization of things down to the granular level here. Nicole, I do not make political predictions, but I'm going to make one uh, right now. So get ready. Parents' rights is going to be a buzzword for 2022. And, you know, while it's important to note that classroom culture wars are really nothing new and have been part of a divisive yet effective kind of partisan playbook that taps into some, not all, uh, white suburban voters' fears uh, as a way to mobilize them to the polls, parenting and, and parents' rights is absolutely going to be politicized. As we approach the one-year anniversary of the attempted coup on the Capitol, the investigation into January 6th is reaching a pivotal phase. Yet there are warning signs that efforts to subvert democracy in 2024 are already well underway. The Associated Press, with new reporting today, writes, In battleground states and beyond, Republicans are taking hold of the once overlooked machinery of elections. While the effort is incomplete and uneven, Outside experts on democracy and Democrats are sounding alarms, warning that the United States is witnessing a slow-motion insurrection with a better chance of success than Trump's failed power grab last year. But there's this new trend with a lot of Republicans going hyper-local. They're targeting school board elections in the coming year. They are looking to do things that we've already seen, ban subjects that aren't even being taught, like critical race theory. They're, Mm -hmm. They're calling for more parental control. How much of a concern do you think that is? Do you think that plays into what we're already seeing in these attacks on democracy? Yeah, not only does uh, going to school boards, Mm -hmm. Eugene, you know, obviously address those kinds of concerning issues, but it also builds a bench, Mm -hmm. right? Because people who then went at school boards Mm -hmm. can then start running for state legislature and push those same kinds of ideas. 
It it does, and and you know that has to be fought at that local level. I mean, it it, it really does, and and that's something that progressives and Democrats have to become more serious about. But it is, I think, it is no accident that all of this this focus on imaginary critical race theory and and all of that is happening at a time when. Um, you know, most of the, the the majority of, of public school students in this country now are not are non-white, um, uh, and uh, as the country becomes more diverse, as um, white Americans, um, many not, obviously not all, but some who are used to being in the majority um, are, are not not easily getting used. To the fact that they they will soon not be an absolute majority in this country, um, I, you just can't ignore that as as an underlying um, mega trend that is uh, is helping to draw. So I posted a TikTok yesterday about how I start conversations about gender and sexuality with my students. Uh, I ended up privating it for unrelated reasons, um, but I thought a week start these conversations. You shouldn't talk about this with your kids. Yeah, you should, because for these kids to know that a queer adult exists, to know that trans people exist and are normal, is life-changing to them. They need someone to start those conversations because they don't know they have the permission to ask me about Excuse the bright head, it's getting a, li a little warm in here. A little warm. So we're back into it, even though we just learned that, that American people, including Democrats, really aren't down with it, all right? They, they don't think it's a good thing to not include parents and kids' education. I mean, just, just seems like a normal thing, right? Also included in that little montage of fuck is all their hate. School boards um, warns parents criticizing school boards are attacking democracy. A teacher admitting, yeah, she does what the fuck she wants, and and it doesn't matter. I mean, this is this is the state of the left, while they call everybody else crazy, and I mean, for fuck's sake, where are we at? Let me get to what I wanted to show. This is happening right now with this administration. This is the second time this week planes are landing in WB Scrant Airport in PA in the night loaded with illegals. So far, six buses full. The buses pull up right to the plane, block the view. They don't walk through the airport. They just get around the buses. This is all over our country. They are moving illegals. It's all good. And before I play a reminder, once again, of our media, th this is where they've gone. Porter Nielsen found that weekday primetime viewership of CNN dropped 38% in 2020 2021, along with 34 decline on Fox News, 25 on MSNBC. Same report that individual evening news shows like NBC News saw 14%, ABC and CBS sucked 16. Another 
found that digital traffic to mainstream news websites declined. The Washington Post website, 44%, 34% of the New York Times. Because do you remember what they said about Omicron? We've just confirmed the first death in the United States due to the Omicron variant in Texas. On Monday, Texas reported the country's first known Omicron death, a man in his 50s who was not vaccinated. We cannot confirm that the patient died from COVID, but we can say that he was Omicron positive at the time of his death. So he, so he died with COVID, but you can't say that he died from COVID. Correct. This information comes from our epidemiologists, who are the ones who get the reports. They have to do a very uh, meticulous investigation because, you know, they, they do take this very much at heart. They're telling me that they cannot say that uh, that COVID was the absolute. They will sit and say that Republicans are politicizing something that's already been politicized. While this is going on. Oh, fuck it. You can't pass the bill. We're going to just rewrite the way we have the social safety net on our own. We're going to go back to Obama. Remember, all this stuff started with Obama. Everything. We all thought he was great. He was a good speaker. Great guy. He's cool. He can play basketball. But he started all this shit. This is how you get... Bishop Garrison and all our soldiers are garbage. Fo- I mean, this is still on the TV. David, what about that? I mean, the, the big lie, the idea the election was stolen, that is still pushed by arguably the most influential person in the Republican Party, and that is Donald Trump. And it is not forcefully denounced by many leaders. So in a two-party system, if one party is messaging things that undermine those foundational parts of democracy, can the system hold? Yeah, it's, a, it's an open question. If you had gone back to Republicans in 2015 and told them what uh, Republicans would be doing in 2021, they would be shocked. <laughs> and so this is a party that has slid down the toilet. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, and so that is a real problem. My alarm is, is I cut Jonathan's alarm in half just on this voting rights issue. Uh, the Republicans are trying to restrict voting. Uh, given the history of their country, that reeks. That just reeks. Some of the things they're going to do, like voter ID laws, are phenomenally popular. 80% of Americans support them. But then the crucial thing to be said about the restrictions on the voting is that voting restrictions don't restrict voting. This has been studied, and we've talked about this in the show in the past, uh, over and over again by academics. They find when states tighten voting restrictions, voter turnout is the same. When they loosen voting restrictions, turnout is the same. Voters vote. And so I'm less alarmed by that than the second thing that Jonathan said which is the state legislatures taking over uh, after the votes are counted. And for that to be really problematic, it would have to happen in a purple state. There would have to be a Republican state legislature powerful enough to basically politicize the system in the sort of state Joe Biden would carry. If they do that, then we have a real problem in our democracy. Um, you know, there's there's a threat within. We've got some people that just haven't been educated. Um, they haven't been found out, and they're they've grown in power um, through perhaps inaction uh, on the parts of some of our key leaders. And we need to do what we can do now to identify those people, get them out of our ranks, and train the rest of the force 
on Civics 101 about how our country is supposed to work, how elections work. Stop listening to the pillow guy and start learning about our country and how it's actually supposed to run. Really quickly, just walk us through your concern about this partisan divide and how it could impact the chain of command and why that is so concerning to you in terms of preventing another coup attempt potentially in 2024. Well, it, the big problem here is allegiance to the Constitution versus allegiance to a leader or in this case, a cult-like figure like Trump. There's a lot of people in uniform that are confused about that. They think they think the president is something like a king, and it's not. You know, we, are, we swore an oath to the Constitution. That's how our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines need to act. And, you know, we're concerned that there's so much uh, activity within the military that shows that people are ignorant of what our Constitution is really all about. And they have responded to people like Trump. And when he tells them to jump, they're probably willing to do that. All right. That is just chilling, bone chilling, as you say in the op-ed. Brigadier General Stephen Anderson, thank you. Thank you. Stop listening to the pillow guy. Always good advice. They changed 80 voting laws. They redid everything to win an election. But because they're now making sure that fucking Facebook can't run polling stations. Yeah. It's their fault. I gotcha. I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down, I, I guess. I mean, I, I, I don't even know. I, 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 every fucking day, because this is a hodgepodge podcast, here's, here's just some woke. Turn it up. At number seven, the U.S. rejoins the Paris Climate Accord hours after Joe Biden became president. But pledging to slash planet cooking pollution by half this decade is one thing. Convincing Congress to take bold action is another. At number six, a code red for humanity as scientists around the world issue their most dire warning to date. The UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says it is that human activity has cranked up the global thermostat by over two degrees and that we are careening dangerously close to a point of no return. We meet with the eyes of history upon us. And those warnings made number five all the more urgent. COP26 in Glasgow, Scotland. Of the four main themes laid out by COP26 host Boris Johnson, coal, cars, cash, and trees, probably is going to be cash that provides the biggest challenge. For the first time in 26 meetings, the world's delegates agreed that fossil fuels are driving the climate crisis. 
but not a single country committed to stop. NBC's Al Roker walks us through the year that was. 2021, another blistering year of climate and weather extremes, from wildfires and drought to catastrophic flooding and hurricanes. Almost no state escaping unscathed. This year seemed to pick up where 2020 left off, with one major exception. Four years after withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement, newly elected President Joe Biden bringing the U.S. back into the fold. We can no longer delay or do the bare minimum to address climate change. The deal bringing together world leaders pledging to do their part to stop the Earth from warming past 1.5 degrees Celsius. Scientists say any warming beyond two degrees would be catastrophic. As winter carried on, Texas endured a cataclysmic event when extreme Arctic cold caused by a breakdown in the polar vortex sent icy air plunging south, crippling the state's power grid leaving residents without water and in the dark for days. We haven't had water for 10 days. For the first couple of days, we were collecting snow and melting the snow. With the climate changing faster than ever before, what unfolded in Texas may no longer be a once-in-a-lifetime event. This tragedy exposing one of the most fragile parts of our country, its crumbling and ill-fitted infrastructure. In the Northwest, it was sporadic weather patterns connected to climate change that created a once in a millennia heat wave, resulting in some of the highest temperatures ever recorded in the region. Temperatures in Portland, Seattle, and parts of Canada soaring well above 100 degrees. At least 228 people dying in Washington state and Oregon alone. Electricity went off. And so um, it's quickly getting warmer and warmer. Kicking off an unprecedented summer of heat, 2021 will go down in history as the hottest summer in the United States. Megafires in the West burning for months. The bootleg fire in Oregon becoming the state's biggest this year, burning more than 413,000 acres. The Dixie Fire becoming the second largest to ever scorch parts of California. I didn't know where I was, whose house is what, and it was just a wasteland. We're just grateful to be alive. We've got each other. The 2021 hurricane season, while not as prolific as the record-shattering 2020, was still an overachiever. There were 21 named storms, including seven hurricanes, four of which were Category 3 or higher. Category 4, Hurricane Ida, lashing Louisiana, still recovering from last year's four landfalls. We are looking at imminent landfall of this storm. The deadly hurricane flattening entire communities, leaving millions of people in Louisiana without power. Some outages for months. Ida then slashed a path of destruction into the northeast, dumping up to 10 inches of rain in some parts of the region. Several areas seeing one night all-time record high totals for the month of September. New York City taking a direct hit from the tropical storm with subways turning into walls of water and floods pushing cars down streets. The storm once again turning deadly when basement apartments were surged, trapping residents. While the east got too much water, the bone dry west in its second decade of extreme drought finally hit a tipping point. Lake Mead dropping to its lowest level on record ever, triggering severe, unprecedented restrictions over how much water states could use from the connecting Colorado River system, hitting Arizona agriculture the hardest. 
the pie is shrinking and there's going to be less water for everyone in the 21st century. To help address the country's mounting issues, the bipartisan infrastructure bill was signed into law in November. Included are historic levels of funding for climate resilience and weatherization, clean energy investments, and capping orphaned oil and gas wells. Despite the cynics, Democrats and Republicans can come together and deliver results. This should be where the story ends, and once did, until a wild and rare week of extreme weather struck in December. Tornadoes tearing through Kentucky and neighboring states, killing scores and leveling multiple towns. Entire communities left in ruins. Mayfield will be okay. It's just going to be a long time. Just five days later, an historic storm leaving a trail of destruction stretching from the West Coast to the Great Lakes. Minnesota recording its first ever tornado in the month of December. As 2021 comes to a close, a country weary from a prolonged pandemic braces for what is... Joyous Kwanzaa, Chicago. Amy and I wish to extend a very beautiful and prosperous Kwanzaa to all of you celebrating this season. As you light the candles and gather in unity, we hope your holiday is filled with rejoicing and happiness. The seven principles of Kwanzaa guide us to unity and cooperation as we work to uplift and protect our neighbors. As you prepare for your Kwanzaa celebrations, I urge you to keep these values in mind, but also maintain COVID-19 safe celebrations. The COVID-19 vaccines are by far the best way to protect yourself and your loved ones from the virus. Anyone who isn't vaccinated should get one as soon as possible to be protected for the holidays. And that includes five to 11 year olds who are now eligible for the Pfizer vaccine. Fully vaccinated people can gather with others who have been fully vaccinated without restrictions. If you are not vaccinated, we recommend that you don't attend any large gatherings. If you still plan to do so, we encourage you to get a COVID test before attending, while also masking and social distancing when possible. But if you are sick or it's experiencing COVID or flu-like symptoms, you should not attend any gatherings, even if you're vaccinated. We wish you a wonderful seven nights celebration and hope they are filled with renewal and joy. May the light of peace bring happiness to your home as we wish you the warmth and togetherness of Kwanzaa. Habari Ghani, Chicago. It's like this. What is your favorite type of Christmas music, Doña Marta? Oh, that's hard. Um, to me, it's not Christmas if Gloria Stefan is not playing, but I also like Sinatra. Uh, what if you had to pick one? Oh, why can't I listen to both? Exactly. Now, I love Frank, but I also really like Gloria. Now, sometimes I expand my palate, uh, but that's a, that's a lesson for another day. <laughs> I get it. I love fish tacos, but I like chorizo con huevos, too. I'm like a food bisexual. Sure. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> okay, that was fun, huh? You do go to church, though, right? I... I sure do. Yes, he does. Pues que lindo. You are a good boy. Let's eat. Come on, everybody. They are... The cult.
Do we remember that the uber-racist Farrakhan was saying this stuff? So when Lori Lightfoot and everybody, including NASCAR, says, Happy Kwanzaa. I made up, NPR taught me this, a made up holiday that literally was made by a white, a black nationalist. How about the 2016 article that I love coming back to almost every six podcast where this one was on Politico magazine. How they said they could do it. How about Molly Hemingway showing they did do it. They fucking rigged it. Facebook ran polling places in blue states. Tell me Parler could do that. And Elias is around doing it right now. Brian Seltzer, I think Twitter should come with a warning, especially for journalists that says 8 out of 10 people don't use this. Because they're pissed that other people get to speak. What it really comes down to all the time is they fucking don't like you speaking. And it's evident with our year-end, because these are new ones, Media jerk off. This is the worst of the worst of the worst. You are simply not a serious political party. If you're using your time on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives to harp on how the Grinch stole Christmas, and this very unserious political party with no agenda other than opposing anything that Democrats do and trying to trip up people of color and anyone else who doesn't tend to vote Republican on their way to the ballot box so they can stay in power to do nothing but wage meaningless theatrical culture wars over supposedly not being able to say Merry Christmas, you can say it, or or Mr. Potato Head needing a gender, it's a potato, or whining about Dr. Seuss being, quote, canceled over old-timey racist cartoons. The bulwark is is all about sort of policy ideas. It's all about sort of reconstructing what conservatism, what the the politics is supposed to mean. Uh, It strikes me that all that the Republican Party is at this stage in its life is just a theatrical enterprise. This is what's extraordinary, how the sideshow has become the main event for a party that used to say we are the party of ideas. We used to have debates about the stimulus package or about health. All of this is really a Republican strategy to essentially dumbify the American public. The intention of, you know, I would even say the Tea Party, but all of all of what we've seen in modern culture, I think of the Republican Party, is to make sure that Americans are a bit deaf, dumb, and blind to what government is supposed to do for them. Here's Mrs. Potato Head. I brought Mrs. Potato Head. I went and got her today. Does she matter in your life right now? Is this what's important <laughs> to you right now? That she is able to be a girl, Mrs. Potato Head? I mean, I could take her nose and her mouth off and then she would just be a potato. This, this is not, well, she, this, she, this is what they're talking. I mean, Charlie, this is more important to them than health care. And apparently the symbol of good and beautiful today is you're holding in your hand that we must fight. <laughs> We must fight for <laughs> to make sure that, Mr. Yeah. and Mrs. Potato Head. They're, they're gender there there have to be a gender. She got a cute little yeah. handbag. Uh, you know, and you know, Michael, it seems ridiculous for me to be sitting right here on a primetime television news show <laughs> with a Mrs. Potato Head next to me. But this is what they're doing on the right. This is the equivalent 
of what Republican governance has become. Hanging around with a potato and making sure that the potato is a girl or a boy because God made potato and potato, not potato and potato. That so, is literally the Republican <laughs> platform at this moment. So if I'd known that Mrs. Potato Head was going to show up today while Mr. Potato Head was out. I'm going to read out tonight with a message to Republicans. Okay, we get it. COVID is the precious, and you love it. You love COVID so much, you want it to spread in the schools, at the office, in the Walmart, on the cruise ships, and at the club. That great spongy ball with the red spikes, you want it pumping through your veins. Why do you love it so dang on much? Well, we have absolutely no bloody idea. But here's the thing, you weirdos. Everyone else, everyone else hates COVID. You, you Republicans seem to be a-okay with COVID running wild. Your thirst for COVID is why you lost. Nobody likes your policies that threaten our safety and our kids. You, you may want COVID. You may want to ingest horse dewormer and attend far too many funerals, but we, we don't. Are you surprised that Republicans have seemed to think embracing COVID as the precious and trying to get it into every school building, cruise ship, job place, Walmart, Texaco, everywhere. They're trying to get it in everywhere. Not even taking the pandemic seriously, Jason, but it's seeming to embrace the pandemic and seeming to want to push the pandemic and make it worse and say, we want COVID. They actually seem to want it in their lives and among their kids. Where people wanted to recall Newsom is where there's the most COVID. So they're like, give us more, inject it in us. Is there a way that we can drink it in a Kool-Aid cup? Because we want it and we want it bad and we want this man to get out of our way. We want our COVID. It's insane. I don't remember a party ever being <laughs> successful saying, we're for smallpox. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're for scurvy. Smallpox, I don't, I don't know that that's ever happened. <laughs> Right, right, the pox party, yes, a pox upon all houses. Ron DeSantis, look, he may be, may be a sociopath. We don't know what his, his pathology is, but he's not stupid. And I think that he understands that if he is going to inflict death on school children, he's going to have to make it. But if you're one of those conservatives who's sticking your chest out and calling for his head, the same way that y'all acted like Al Franken should have resigned while paying near attention to your own backyard, I'm going to need you to stand down since you never used even an ounce of that energy for any of your folks. Let's start with Clarence Thomas, shall we? Remember him? Oh, and then there's the I like beer and I black out justice, Brett Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh cried and whined his way through his confirmation hearings, in which he was credibly accused of sexually abusing a teenaged friend, Christine Blasey Ford. And let's not forget your king, MAGA mob, Donald Trump. I mean, you give me nasty Cuomo, and I'll give you at least 26 accusers. And what the hell was Trump doing hanging around Jeffrey Epstein anyway? Has anybody answered that? My point is that none of these holy, holy MAGA Trumpers ever spoke a word about any of this. So you're just going to have to forgive me if my response to their demands that Democrats answer for Andrew Cuomo is to tell them to kindly fart off. He did a much better job on the pandemic than Trump, even with all of the issues. But then again, who didn't? He was a good crisis manager for what it was worth, although clearly there were many, many issues, including nursing homes. But again, you all worship Donald freaking Trump. You don't get to complain. And don't give me Bill Clinton. He cheated with an adult and he got impeached for it by men who were stooping their secretaries. I'm looking at you, Mr. and Mrs. Newton Leroy Gingrich. How was the Vatican, by the way? And I know, I know you were all about to say Juanita Broderick. This is her, right? This world is replete with predatory men. 
They're in politics and TV. Hey, Matt Lauer and Hollywood and hip hop. There's Harvey Weinstein and Les Moonves and Bill O'Reilly and the probably burning in hell Roger Ailes and Russell Simmons and on and on and on. It's a huge problem. But it's one that has grown out of this talk. I think we have to keep in mind when we're watching the criminal justice system at work that it was designed to do exactly what it did today. Gun laws helped to enhance the design to allow this verdict to happen today. This country was built on the idea of, of that white men had a, a, a particular kind of freedom and a particular kind of citizenship that only they have that gives, you know, from the slave catchers on, the right to inflict violence um, in the name of protecting property. That's like the foundational creation of the United States. What I am concerned about is the precedent this sets for what people will believe that they can do under law when Black Lives Matter protests happen in the future, and that people may use this as an excuse to start going out of state and doing what this teenager did the, the, the first thing that occurred to me after this ruling is oh well okay now it's just open season like if, if i'm walking around and, and i'm a white nationalist you know coward little kid with an ar-15 and i see somebody drive by with a black lives matter bumper sticker and i feel threatened i can open fire rittenhouse will be the poster child for reactionary white men who want to take the law in their own hands who want to bring assault weapons to black lives matters protests and who think that violence is a legitimate form of political discourse. This is a very, very serious problem for activism because right. now we're being told that someone can cross state lines with a semi-automatic rifle and kill people and say it's self-defense and they have this case to cite. And to think I tell my students that, you know, the key to an internship is being a good person, a moral citizen. Apparently, you just have to go out and murder people who you disagree with. Black people don't care about race. They care about justice. We, we want justice to be done. This person came outside of his community, armed himself with a legal weapon, and shot two people in the street. There is a, there is a call of permissiveness towards white violence. Black people know that overall, White people armed with guns patrolling the streets, being allowed to shoot whoever they want to, doesn't work out so well for us. The people who kind of can't see that, who can't see the bigger picture, they're like people who are, who are, who are chewing on rosemary, like a cow, and like, man, this rosemary tastes bitter. <laughs> and it's like, shut up, you uncouth idiot. It's supposed to go in the soup. There's right. a whole soup here. There's a whole soup of racism. What we need to worry about is that we have nothing in place legally. We have right. nothing in place culturally or socially to stop the next group of white nationalists, proud boys, MAGA people, whoever they want, to take from this verdict what they want and to use it as permission to attack Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter ain't just black people, as we just saw. Anyone who supports Black Lives Matter should be very afraid tonight. By allowing him to go free and potentially commit other crimes, this jury sent the final and loudest warning to white America about the dangerous rise of white nationalist terror in this country. The Rittenhouse ruling isn't so much a warning to black America, it's a warning to every white suburbanite with a Black Lives Matter poster in their window. Every white church youth leader chanting about George Floyd in front of the local Walmart. Every white dad from Lorain, Ohio to Lubbock, Texas, who dares have a BLM sticker on their car. Those people now know that they too can be shot 
by a white 17-year-old with an AR-15 if he feels threatened by their desire to see America live up to its potential. At some point, someone is going to weaponize the self-defense. What Republicans are saying is they're going to make it torture for you to vote in line by having fewer machines, beat up machines, places where in, in urban centers, places where black folks live, suburbs where black people live, make it impossible or torture for you to vote in line. And then they're going to make it impossible for you to vote by mail. They're going to lock off every way that you can vote. This is the end of democracy in America. This is the beginning of the South, the South Africa strategy. Ted Cruz says a lot of stupid things. Um, he does a lot of stupid things. But I personally, as a person of color, as a black person, am beyond offended that he would dare use the word Jim Crow when his party is literally a Jim Crow party at this point. What you see here on your screen is what Republicans fear in the voting booth, and they're going to do everything they can to make sure it doesn't happen, including, you know, Stephen from Django Unchained, a.k.a. Ted Cruz, who's, who's working to stop fellow people of color from voting, which is amazing. You know, the only reason that we know who the Taliban are is because they decided to back a terrorist group, Al-Qaeda, right? They're an extreme right-wing organization that perverts, you know, the Islamic faith for, for their own, to take power, for power. Here in the United States, our extremists have a political party backing them. You have the Democrats, the responsible parent, telling you to be decent to people who are different from you and take care of the earth and don't threaten to kill people, even as a joke. And who pass things like health care and roads and bridges and food for people who can't afford it. And then there's the other parent, the YOLO parent, the Republicans, who let you stay up all night and eat Snickers for dinner and take off your mask in a COVID cloud. You're drunk, mostly absentee, Nazi curious, authoritarian Republican parent is doing this circus, just waiting around for you to put their ridiculous, embarrassing, democracy-hating Trump. You have the Democrats, the responsible parent, telling you to be decent to people who are different from you and take care of the earth and don't threaten to kill people, even as a joke. And who pass things like health care and roads and bridges and food for people who can't afford it. And then there's the other parent, the YOLO parent, the Republicans, who let you stay up all night and eat Snickers for dinner. And take off your mask in a COVID cloud. And sorry, you can't have health care if you get sick, because YOLO! And whose answer to anything and everything is to just scream about the border and the scary brown people are taking over America. And man, history is mean. Cancel it. You're drunk, mostly absentee, Nazi curious, authoritarian Republican parent is doing this circus, just waiting around for you to put their ridiculous, embarrassing, democracy-hating, Trump cult authoritarian, open racism-embracing, dangerous behinds back in power. There are people walking around in the caucus who the minute they got back in the majority would take off their masks and maybe cough COVID all over their colleagues and maybe get some people sick or dead. They're gonna go after Adam Schiff. I mean, I could see them just trying to expel any members of Congress that they don't like, right? They'll go after Ilhan Omar, they'll go after the squad. They're just gonna spend all of their time doing fake investigations, try to impeach Joe Biden for God knows what, for, you know, for having a son they don't like. I am still convinced that the reason that Republicans impeached Bill Clinton, they were hunting for 
way to impeach him because for payback for Nixon. Like, this is how the party operates. It's just a payback party. There's not going to be legislation other than maybe, like, banning the 1619 Project nationally and making it illegal to say that anybody white ever in history was ever mean. Republicans, they, what they do, while it is fascism curious in many ways, is also... It's more attractive in some ways. They're the permission party. They're saying, go on, tell that racist joke. That's okay. Don't worry about it. You don't have to wear your mask. Don't worry about COVID. I know 700,000 people... Wednesday is also the day we start addressing Kamala Harris as Madam Vice President, a change that's the culmination of all she's worked for. It might seem that Kamala Harris was born for this moment in history. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez attended the Met Gala last night, and uh, this may be the dress that is most remembered uh, from it. On the back of this dress, it said, tax the rich, this, of course, Maggie, is one of the most expensive and elitist events of the year. And I wonder if you think she thread the needle here with her message and her presence there or not. I think she did. You know, it is unsurprising to see criticism that there she is hobnobbing with the wealthy. That message of that dress is not a popular message yes. in that crowd. And so there is, some, there is something risky about doing it. I and I, I would say it's the opposite of hobnobbing with the wealthy. And, and it shows the, the talent that uh, AOC has. Being Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez means being a celebrity and looking like one, red lips and all. She was featured on the cover of Vanity Fair in 2020 and even shot this tutorial for Vogue on her beauty routine. You sometimes take heat for your celebrity status, for uh, being glamorous. You embrace the power. Yeah, yeah. How do you use that power, the power of femininity as you describe it? When you look at the, at the governor's legacy now, and it is tied to this, it is also the things that he did, how will people remember his time in office? Well, I mean, there were a lot of things. He did. Obviously, the pandemic. You talk to people in Albany or across the state, they say he, he did a masterful job of keeping the state safe. There are so many people who are so proud of Kamala Harris. Yeah. I love the interview that she did yesterday with Jane Pauley on Sunday morning. Because yep. at one point she was running for student government and they were saying, not your time, not your time. And she says, whenever. There are so many people who are so proud of Kamala Harris. Yeah. I love the interview that she did yesterday with Jane Pauley on Sunday morning. Because yep. at one point she was running for student government and they were saying, not your time, not your time. And she says, whenever people tell her no, she eats no for breakfast. <laughs> So on the subject of journalists behind bars, let's look at the five worst jailers of journalists. What's the number one country at the top of that bad list? Well, China is the number one jailer of journalists, and China perennially tops this list. But what's alarming, Brian, is the, the crackdowns all over the world. So many new countries are on this list. Myanmar, a place where we saw some progress. Of course, it's become now one of the most repressive uh, one among the world's leading jailers of journalists. Because of the military coup. This because year. of the military coup. But also Belarus on the list. Belarus, where the, where the ongoing crackdown on independent media and civil society as Lukashenko clings to power in that country. Journalists are being caught up there, sweeping crackdowns. <laughs> Yeah. So many countries around the world are cracking down on press freedom. Governments are deploying the full power of the state against independent journalism. Mm. And that's why we're seeing these record numbers year after year. And on the topic of violence, I mentioned Mexico City earlier. Mexico, we are continuing yeah. to see 
awful numbers of journalists killed in Mexico. Yes, Mexico has the highest death toll of any country in the hemisphere. It's another country which year after year, the forces of violence, it's, it's drug traffickers, largely in collusion and protected by government that are, uh, that are responsible for this violence. And this is true around the world, Brian, corruption. Mm. You know, that is the most dangerous story, and not just the corrupt individuals, but the networks of government uh, that protect organized crime and corruption in so many countries around the world. That's become an incredibly important and an incredibly dangerous. Well, even in the U.S., look at the yeah. number of reporters that are arrested each year, you know, intolerable numbers right. of reporters who get swept up. Uh, and, and David, just final to you, you know, we, we saw also in recent days um, Fox News hosts trying to double down on the big lie, but also change its definition. Uh, Laura Ingram in particular, uh, saying that the big lie is that the existence of systemic racism itself. Uh, David, I want to get your take on it, and then Errol will give you the final word. You know, I don't think it's ever been more important, and I've been doing this for a long time, for media critics like me to call out Fox repeatedly for this. I've been writing columns saying, look, this was founded as a political tool by Roger Ailes. Fox was founded. But it behaved in a quasi-fashion, did some news. Since Donald Trump, it has completely become a tool of propaganda. We shouldn't even treat it like the press anymore. We, they have news in their title, which is uh, to mock the name of news. We have to call them out when they do this because mm. we see how incredibly destructive this is to democracy. There's no doubt. Rupert Murdoch and Fox News are now a danger to democracy and they should be treated that way. Uh, if they won't do it in the federal government challenging licenses or any way that they can do it through regulation, we have to keep doing it in the press. We have to keep pounding away at it and call them out the way they're being called out right now. So you've had you've had what you're describing as not a not a feud with Ted Cruz. OK, I mean, it's not a feud. Yeah. Uh, you've said you've said he has said that you're you know, he said that you're basically you're a rich, angry Hollywood celebrity. And yeah. you said, if you're a white supremacist fascist who doesn't find it offensive when someone calls your wife ugly, Ted Cruz is exactly is the exact for you. Now, yeah. So it's not a feud. It's just a just passing harsh judgment. I guess feud. I guess feud implies equal ground, and I, and maybe this is something that Hat, like Hatfields and McCoys, that sort of thing. Yeah, like if 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 someone's trying to like murder someone with a baseball bat, and someone's yelling at that person to stop, is that a feud between the baseball bat wielder and the person yelling at the baseball bat wielder? Uh -huh. I don't know if that's a feud. I think feud feud implies two people hitting each other with baseball bats. I'm like Ted Cruz is a fascist he is he denies the reality of the election his words caused people to die and i'm making jokes about it is that a feud <laughs> i don't know <laughs> to me it doesn't seem like a feud to me it seems like i'm pointing out the fact that he is a, a terrible man whose uh, words have resulted in death you know um and and i guess to me it, yeah like I mean, it speaks to what I think is a bigger problem in America, which is like a false equivalency. And I think even I, I was going to use the term between the right and the left, which makes it seem like two appendages of the same creature, which right. I don't think it is. I think one is 
a, one is one is a creature and the other is just trying to stop it from destroying the country. And so I don't know if like is that is that a feud? I don't know. Is that are those two things on the same level? Like and I, and I agree that like I think it's easy to say like that maybe the left feels ineffective in comparison to how they should, but it's like when you're it's like if you were playing baseball against a team and like you're trying to get a lot of runs and the other team is trying to bludgeon you to death like is is it is it like is it shocking that you're not scoring as many runs as maybe you should be scoring like no the, the other teams are trying to beat you to death with baseball bats you know i i, I like that metaphor i want i want to i want to uh i want to <laughs> It's America's pastime, that metaphor. What I, exactly. What, I, what I'm curious about, just listening to hear you talk, is that have you ever gotten high with uh, someone with whom you share no uh, uh, political philosophies? In other words, do you think you could get high with Ted Cruz and that would be beneficial to him? Are there a lot of far right? It would be beneficial to him because it, it would be beneficial to him because it would be humanizing him in some way to, to to hang out with me. I would imagine, but no, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I've tried, honestly. There are people in my life who held the beliefs that uh, uh, that hold the beliefs that Ted Cruz uh, holds, and I really tried to engage with them um, throughout the last year and. Ultimately, it was uh, horrifying, <laughs> and um, and 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 truly, I felt like uh, I, 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 there is nothing I could convey that would re uh, reframe this person's reality as they viewed it, you know. And so, no, it's like when I was on your show before, and I wouldn't take a picture uh, with Paul Ryan. Like I, I, I don't, that. I don't. That is a lot to unpack right there. I'm just going to leave that Nicole Hannah-Jones quote up because I think it... Uh, she also says uh, Yacht Rock Radio is is somehow racist now, and I listen to it. So, you heard Joy Reid's 20 worst moment. One, despicable. Reid guest gleefully spit on Rush Limbaugh as he died. Two, guest accuses red states of hating black people. Three, fake Republicans peddle lies about Fox News GOP obsession over cancel culture. Four, read Dem Congress blame Bobert gun pornography. Five, racist Joy Reid, white GOP wants to end democracy. Torture blacks. Six, racist Joy defends racist 1619 project. Nicole Janet Jones is a victim of cancel culture. Seven, conservatives are murderous enemy of the people. Eight, Guests insist parents of school bar meetings are QAnon. Nine, she returns for vacation as only she could with a side of Cuomo praise. Ten, he doesn't care. Ron DeSantis and murdering Floridians. Eleven, homicidal Republicans don't believe in staying alive, don't want citizens to live. Uh, Joy Reid, three nights of sycophancy for Biden on Afghanistan. Jalalabad Joy attacked the media for daring to call out Biden. Fox is Al-Qaeda, number 15, love COVID so much they want to kill you. Uh, 16, Ben Shapiro insists it was good to be anti-vax, never did. 17, uh, all out with dangerous rhetoric against conservatives. 18, freaks over GOP house as only she can. Buckle up, here are the best written house meltdowns. I had to play that shit again because she's just hateful. Um, 
There was one more Joy Reid in there, so it's a lot of sound bites. Crazy Analysis Awards, because we just had some interesting shit with all the, you know, COVID and crap. The winner, Fox News is a danger to democracy. Runner-up, American Flag. Carve, cars have become sentient beings. Washington Post slams the Statue of Liberty. Apparently, CNN doesn't vet freelancers for anti-Semitism. The world today needs Hitler. Aja Raja. In that montage, the media hero. She eats no, she eats no for breakfast. There are so many people who are so proud of Camille Harris. I love the interview she did yesterday with Jane Pauley. At one point, she was running for student government, and they were saying, not your time, not your time. She eats no for breakfast. The runner-up, born for this moment, trying to boost her up. Adoring AOC uh, is in here. Tell that to all those who lost someone in a nursing home. Somebody had a bust on them for that shit. We're celebrity freakouts. Soulless celebs react to Rush Limbaugh. That was Bette Midler. Runner-up, if it is an award show, there must be at least one Trump is Hitler reference, and that was Spike Lee. CNN and MSNBC don't perpetuate lethal dangerous lies like Fox. That was Aaron Sorkness. And then you saw the Ted Cruz is a fascist, which I just love. To some odds and ends before we play the soundbite of the day. It's really good. Good one. Ah, Fuck that up. Seven-year-old, it's not fair that you and daddy got to have coronavirus-free childhood. Most of our years of my life that I can remember were coronavirus years, and I'm scared that the rest of my life will be coronavirus. You know, I don't think we'll ever stop having Democrats making shit up. I mean, it's not even true. Everybody knows it's not true. We all know it. Taylor Renz, yeah, the global pandemic doesn't help people in this trash country recognize the problem in our healthcare system. I don't know what will. And that is the reference that she is getting canceled. So I want to go to, what is this one? I think this is screwed up. Oh, no, this is good. The subject that I got this, somehow it was sent to me. I think it was Matt in Oregon sent it to me. And this just is classic. It's just classic. So, a major science, a new letter in Science Magazine deploys the unvarying fallacy to oscillate around the nature of biological sex. No one trait determines whether a person is male or female, and no person's sex can be meaningful to prescribe by any single variable. So, they're supposed to get away from it. And then Yahoo says... Hold my beer. And I, this slide is so fucked up. I am just a soup bone today. No one talks about the hard journey to getting pregnant can be for same-sex couples. That's an article on Yahoo. I mean, I don't know how somewhere in the flow of all this, you mutton fucks didn't get the class that you need sperm and an egg. And as in everything else on the planet, 
those are opposite sex. The article, and I was going to play music, but I'm not going to. Because this is good for circus music. As a same-sex couple, our journey to becoming parents evolved more logistics. This is an adapted excerpt from uh, a book that she wrote. We started talking about having a family about a year after we got married. I don't think we were ready yet, but obviously as a same-sex couple, there are way more logistics that go into it. It meant with a fertility doctor, did the whole process of finding a sperm donor, and it was taking prenatals and getting my body ready. My wife wanted to have kids, but she never wanted to carry them. I was like, oh, I'll be pregnant 100%. I, I'm not reading the whole story. That, that, just, that, that, that is bullshit. It's just bullshit. You can spin this all you want, but the data shows... No, let me blow this the fuck up. This is Rasmussen. Do you agree or disagree with the statement there are two genders, male or female? Strongly, somewhat, total. So of Dems, 61% believe it. Independents, 73%. Republicans, 92 All adults, 75% believe there's a dick and a vag. That's that's all there is. There isn't a dick vag or vag dick. You don't just make a hole in there and call it a vagina and you don't make a piece of your leg. You're cock. But that's how far away they've gone because this next article is just perfect. And I, I hate this slideshow. It's just not working for me today. Sorry. I have it set for just be the size. Why so much Obama-era pop culture feels so cringe now? And it breaks down how everything wasn't woke enough because everything has gone uber-woke now. I mean, I watched the Betty White SNL, which was the best one they've done in a decade. All the white characters were all playing Latina or Latinx. Latinx. It was a hot fucking mess. It would get everybody fired today. They weren't in brown face, but they were having really bad Latino freaking accents. And this was like 10 years ago. But that's how crazy they've gone. The very same things that they were all hooked on, now it ain't good. Not good at all. So before we finish with the last thing, our This Is America... I want to play an interesting soundbite. And then we'll go into This is America and have a few articles. Some of these soundbites of our spin literally are from CNN, but they finally admitted Biden sucks. We're talking about Joe Biden in the economy and the polling on it. Just that is it. Terrible. Terrible. Uh, look, historically, look, we can look at the net approval ratings on the economy since 1977 at this point in a presidency, and that's the approval minus the disapproval on the economy. Look at Joe Biden in 2021. 
minus 15 points. He's well underwater. That is even lower than Jimmy Carter was in a CBS News New York Times poll at the beginning of January 1978 when he was at minus eight points. You can see that Biden's even worse than Trump and Obama were, and they were in the negative territories at minus four points. When it comes to the economy, there is pretty much nothing good that can be said about Joe Biden's numbers when it comes to the American public. Yeah, you know, look, here's the deal. Why were both of them so down in the drenches? And what you can see is if you ask folks about inflation, is inflation a serious problem or concern? 84% of Americans say, yes, it is right now. Back in December of 1977, under Jimmy Carter, it was 79%. Inflation is something that can sink a presidency because it's something that is felt by everybody. It was something that sunk Jimmy Carter. And at this particular point, although Joe Biden obviously has time to make it up, it's one of the big things that's keeping him right now in the gutter. But, but just how bad are Biden's numbers on inflation specifically? Yeah, if you look at it and you essentially ask folks, do you approve of the job of Joe Biden handling of inflation? Look at this. 28%. 28% of Americans say that they approve of the job. And I think the biggest number in this table that sort of gives it away is just 54% of Democrats approve of the job he's doing on inflation. In this era of polarization, it's not surprising to see that only 6% of Republicans approve, but the 54% of Democrats approve? Look, they are looking at the numbers. They are feeling in their pockets. Yeah, historically, if you look at the actual economic measures, perhaps it shouldn't be comparable to Carter. But when it comes to actually how folks are feeling, it clearly. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. I got the strap. I want to lay out what seems to me a reasonable scenario, which is that Donald Trump um, seems to be trying to control the Republican Party for a purpose. This is not just a hobby. He would like to run again. If he runs again, so that's assumption number one, he wants to run. Assumption number two, he will get the nomination because the party seems enthralled him. He will run, and in 2024, whatever happens, he will claim he won. The crisis. I think it's an unfolding one. Uh, it's an interesting use of the word crisis because, you know, it comes from Hippocrates. Uh, it's the moment in a disease where the patient lives or dies. And I think we're as certainly there, which I didn't think before January 6th, honestly. I think we came as close to losing the Constitution. And when we say democracy, America's not a democracy. America's a republic. So let's call it American democracy. We came as close that day as we have since Fort Sumter. In this season of joy, hope, and promise, we're reminded of the goodness and grace of our nation. As we look back at this year, we've seen enormous courage and character, resilience and resolve. We see it in all of you who heal, who comfort, who teach, who protect, who serve in ways big and small. We also keep in our prayers all of you who have lost loved ones and for whom this season falls on heavy hearts. We pray for you to find strength from sorrow, purpose from pain. It's important to continue our holiday traditions to remind us that finding light in darkness 
is a very American thing to do, perhaps the most American thing we do, and that we are a great nation because we're good people. My fellow Americans, Jill and I, Kamala and Doug, are grateful to you for being the light that leads our nation to better days ahead. As we celebrate our first holiday season in the White House, we are inspired by the Americans we have met across the country, time and time again reminding us that our differences are precious and our similarities infinite. You remind us of the possibilities within our reach as a nation when we care for and look out for one another. And when we lift up the values that hold us together, dignity and respect, decency and unity, we show the world the best of America. May God bless you all. May God protect our troops and America. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. And happy new year. <laughs> Major funding was provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and by generous contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. everyone and welcome to the White House. I will never forget the moment that we stepped over that threshold on Inauguration Day. The mahogany doors closed behind us and the grandeur of the front hall caught my breath. The crystal chandelier reflecting off the marble floor, the presidential seal above the blue room reminding us of what it all meant. The exhilaration of our country coming together. The honor and pride the president and I felt and continue to feel. Every day we are here is special, but nothing can compare to how this place comes alive for the holiday season. That's why for our first Christmas here, Joe and I wanted to share the White House with you, the American people. And to help us do that, is our dear friend Jennifer Garner. <laughs> Hello, Hi. happy holidays. Thank you, Dr. Biden. It is amazing to be here where so much of our nation's history has taken place. And what an honor it is to be welcomed in by the United States Marine Band. Tonight, we continue a tradition by hosting the 57th installment of PBS's In Performance at the White House.